Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Uh, boxer Muhammad Ali, the greatest has been an inspiration for books, comics, documentaries of all kinds. He's an inspiration to many Americans today. But what is it that made him a hero? And do we have any heroes left in the world? Former sports reporter for the New York Times, Bob Lipside, covered him back when he was still known as Cassius Clay. And really thrilled to have Bob joining us on the line now to discuss Muhammad Ali's life and legacy, what he represents in today's culture. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Boyd. It's glad to be here. Uh, it's it's an amazing question. I mean, uh, in in going through, you know, all the top picks, you know, for documentaries, books, um, inspirational aphorisms, the three people that I come down to are Abraham Lincoln, Jesus Christ, and Muhammad Ali. I mean, <laughs> why is he there? Uh, I mean, I find this enormously interesting. Uh, because he's been certainly willfully misinterpreted by the right, by the left, by mm. white people, black people, men and women. Um, and and yet there's something about him that, uh, you know, he, he's like a refrigerator that, that you can put all your little magnets with all your bumper stickers and all your little thoughts and aphorisms on. He fits Anything that you want to assign to him, and especially since um, you know he he kind of ended as a silent secular saint. Yeah. What does he mean to you? Yeah, I uh, you know I actually had the chance to to meet the champ. I used to own a couple of the uh, Field of Dreams stores down in California uh, a few decades ago, uh, and he came in and did a, a signing for us. And of course, at that point, uh, he was much more the the silent champ. Uh, but to me, he was uh, he was the epitome of uh, the thinking, the thinking boxer, you know, in, and especially in an age where, you know, just that brute force kept continued to be, you know, they got bigger and bigger and more and more muscular. Uh, and it, his was all about the mental game and the execution and uh, and getting into your opponent's head a little bit. Uh, but that mental side, that mental strength, uh, I think, was so fascinating in terms of how he did that, not just to his opponent, but to his opponent's. Uh, corner and uh, to wherever the event was going to be taking place, uh, he was really a, a thinker's thinker. I think when it came to that, right? And he made he made those some of those opponents uh, crazy. 
mean, <laughs> you know, just just by the way he presented himself yeah. and and the idea that. Uh, but but meanwhile, uh, he became certainly in the sixties, uh, he became an absolute you know model uh, for white people who didn't want to be drafted, uh, for blacks who wanted somebody to stand up to the man. And yet he himself, during that period, uh, was in thrall to a, a kind of insane sect that um, you know thought seven-foot men in, uh, in spaceships would come down at Armageddon and save the righteous. Uh, these people wanted their own all-black state in the South, uh, and, and in many ways they were segregationists and bigots themselves. He grew out of it, Yeah, I mean, which is kind of a wonderful story unto itself, yeah. his own involvement. Uh, but as he became more and more silent, and this beautiful face had less and less expression, mm. more and more people saw in him something that we all wanted. And, and some of it, Boyd, was, you know, that idea that he wasn't all brute strength, yeah. as you alluded to, that he was thinking um, the rope-a-dope, the way he danced around, the way he drove um, his opponents crazy, uh, really had an enormous effect on not only boxing, but how we think about sports. Yeah, yeah, the, the whole strategy, I think uh, he was a big a big part of that. I want to go back to something you mentioned, Bob, because uh, one of the things you have pointed out regularly is is that you know he was not always this saint. Uh, he was uh, he was the villain. He was the hero. He played all the different roles. But you pointed out something that was so fascinating to me, uh, and that is that when he was uh, stripped of his title uh, over the uh, not being drafted and and the war, uh, that it wasn't it wasn't some federal agency uh, or central governing body. You know, it was these local boxing commissions that ultimately did that, and I think that kind of sent an interesting connection to a lot of Americans, again, across the spectrum, uh, who also felt like they were being wronged by some of these people who were in these weird positions of, of power. That's absolutely right. I mean, boxing is still the only major sport, although it's not really quite a major sport anymore, but uh, that doesn't have a central governing body. You know, there's no commissioner as such. And so uh, it was each of these little boxing commissions, some in small towns, uh, that were enthralled to local uh, politicians, you know, governors, senators, whatever, who would make the appointments. Uh, it was, you know, most of them were hacks. Many of them were deeply corrupt. Uh, and they stripped his title very quickly because they're afraid there would be some sort of political fallout if they didn't. So, um, yeah, so none of it was, was really kind of uh, legitimate in its way. And I think that you touched something there, too, which I think um, really is worth looking at, that he was seen. I mean, heavyweight champion of the world was very important in those days, yeah. as was boxing. But he was seen uh, not only by black people who thought that he you know, stood up, uh, as Dick Gregory said, you know, he told uh, a lot of people, a lot of white people to go to hell, uh, but um, that he was being picked apart by by these little ducks. Yeah. And uh, 
and, and that he was standing up for the little guy in, in many ways, just by standing up for principle. And, you know, the, the one thing that's incontrovertible is that um, he really put uh, his uh, money, money where his mouth was. I can't think who else other than, well, maybe, you know, a case could be made for Colin Kaepernick, but who gave up three and a half years of his prime as an athlete and the millions of dollars, not only that he would have made at that time, but for the rest of his life. He never really made a lot of money compared to his athletic supremacy, uh, just because corporations really didn't want to get involved with somebody who had that kind of seeming anti-government taint. Yeah. Oh, fascinating perspective. And uh, just one quick question before I let you go, Bob. And this is uh, there's so many extraordinary things that you have seen. Again, you've seen him all the way back to Cassius Clay uh, through uh, where he ended uh, his life as someone revered around the world. Uh, what is the one thing about Muhammad Ali that we miss in the narrative? What is it? What is one of those superhero qualities that uh, you saw and observed that maybe the rest of us don't talk about in a general sense? Well, I think that really strikes anybody, and you've met him, I think, uh, is his incredible kindness. It's very, I mean, it almost bubbled out of him. Incredible sweetness with that humor uh, and, and with that bluster and loudness uh, was this incredible sweetness and reaching out. Do you have time for one quick story? Yeah, yeah please. Uh, what, what really kind of crystallized it for me, so it's midnight. We're racing across the uh, deserted terminal of uh, of a little airport in Florida. I'm desperate to make this last flight home, and I, I'm it's just Ali and me, and I'm kind of tugging him along, tugging him along. Come on, let's go, let's move faster. And he's kind of you know sauntering. Oh, the plane will wait for us. No, no, we have to go. And suddenly, a little old lady jumps in front of us with one of those uh, little drugstore paper cameras. Oh, Mr. Ali, could I have your photograph? He said, of course. And he stopped and clicked. She takes her picture. Great. I grabbed his sleeve. He said, no, 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 wait. And he reaches out so delicately and removes the lens cap from her camera. (laughs) She had left the lens cap on. And and he posed for one more picture, you know, before we left. And I said, my God, we're going to miss the plane. He said, yes, but think of her the rest of her life. She lost her chance to take a picture of the champ. And it was something just so kind of sweet. Uh, about that. It's, uh, in, in many ways, it's, of all the memories, that one really sticks. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. And uh, Bob, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, I'm one of those who believes, with, uh, I believe the Dalai Lama said, whenever possible, be kind. And it's always yes. possible to be kind. And uh, the champ was the greatest. And that kindness uh, really came through. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Great insight uh, about you, an boy. extraordinary American. Good to talk to you. All right. All the best. That's Robert Lipsight, uh, sports writer and author. His memoir titled, titled An Accidental Sports Writer. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources. Be kind. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. 
and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.